Well, it's wonderful to be here with you this morning. I want you to know that Jesus loves you no matter what you've done this week, no matter what's happened, he loves you. There's nothing that uh, you've done that he hasn't seen and he's not gonna change his mind. We sang about that earlier. He's never gonna forsake you, no, never. So isn't that comforting to know this morning? Something we can just rest in and rejoice in. So anyway, the sermon text this morning is Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, and I've entitled it Advancing the Gospel. So what are you thanking God for this morning? As you've come in here, as you're thinking about worshiping God, what is it that you're thanking God for? We heard earlier the reading uh, from Psalm 100, which I'm gonna repeat part of that. It says, enter God's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So what specific benefits maybe are resonating in your heart this morning as you've come to church? What is it that is risen in your heart and you're particularly thankful for? I want you to think just for a second. What immediately comes to mind? What two specific things can you think that you're thankful for right now? Just take a second, think about that. What's number one, what's number two? You don't have to get religious about this. <laughs> okay, why did I ask you to do that? It's because I want you to think and feel the same way Paul was thinking and feeling when he wrote these words to the Philippians. And as now we look over the shoulders of those who received those words, these words are for us as well. And so hopefully as we go through this passage this morning, we're gonna be seeing more and more how to think like Paul thought, how to feel like Paul felt. How does he handle the situation that he finds himself? Now I know that some of you I've come in here this morning with heavy hearts about something that's in your life. So you don't really feel like thanking God right now. In a group this size, it's gonna be, a number of you are gonna feel that way. You didn't come to church this morning thinking about the greatness of God and, and to be thankful. You're consumed by hurt or pain or disappointment. There's something in your life that's not really the way that you want it to be. So it's very important then as we see Paul writing from prison, unjustly in prison, in a very difficult situation. How does he rise above this? And he's thanking God. He's rejoicing in God. So this is an antidote for us to learn and to understand. How do you do that? How do you not wallow in the disappointments and the heartaches and the different things that are in almost all our lives from time to time? So he says, okay, be thinking about salvation by grace. That's pretty nice. That's pretty good. Gift of the Holy Spirit, gift of faith. I've been adopted into God's family. I'm a child of God. And all these things are gifts by grace. 
I know that I'm going to be glorified. I'm walking in the undeserved love of Christ this morning. No matter what I've done, he's not going to change his mind. I know that the work that he has begun in me, he's going to continue until the day of Christ. I mean, I hope your hearts are starting to maybe slowly, you know, rise a little bit as we think about some of these things. Are we thankful then that God has done these things? Not because we've deserved any of them but because he loves us so much, he's continuing to pour out blessing upon blessing upon us, and he's not going to stop. He's going to continue until that day of Christ. So thankful Christian hearts tell each other what God has done for them. We don't keep it under a bushel basket. We don't hide the light of Christ that's burning in us but we share with each other what God is doing. And so this morning we're looking at how the gospel of of the kingdom of God is advancing. And in particular, how Paul was joyfully thanking God for the advancement of this gospel. But he was doing it, and this is the key part, in what we would call his suffering. And he was suffering at one level. But he's not thinking about it as suffering. He's thinking about his victories, we'll see in a few minutes. He's joyfully thanking God for the gospel fruit that's being produced through what he's going through. He's not despising his, his suffering, quite the opposite. He knew that his suffering was advancing the gospel, and so that's what he was thankful about. That's what his heart and his mind were focused on. That's what brings the thanksgiving and the joy in this passage this morning. Please stand now and we'll... Read the word of God, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now let's look at the first point we have in our three-point outline this morning. In verse 12, Paul wrote, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what does he mean by what's happened to me? Well, he's referring to the sufferings that he's gone through. He's referring to the fact that he's in prison. He's referring to what's happened to him 10 years previous when he went through all kinds of struggles as we looked at in previous sermons. He suffered in many different ways in establishing this church in Philippi who he's writing to. So how had Paul's suffering served to advance the gospel? Well, let's look at what the word advance means. It means to move forward in a purposeful way. There's design and understanding in the advancing of the gospel. Action had to take place. A plan had to be in place. And so what we see here is that God is acting. Paul is going in accordance with God's plan. He's living out 
what God wants him to do. And as he does so, he's going through suffering, but the suffering is necessary. It's not that he's wanting to suffer. Nobody in here this morning should be wanting to suffer, but when suffering does come, it's for reason and purpose when we're thinking like Paul thinks and we're living our lives directed towards advancing the gospel the way that Paul is doing. And we see the same thing in other areas of scripture. We see it with Joseph and uh, what he went through and his suffering, Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, speaking to his brothers. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God was in charge of all that. God was watching over that. God wasn't reacting to what happened when the brothers were evil against Joseph. Joseph had his own issues, lots of pride. Eleventh son wants to rule over the other, other eleven. And so this was God's design. And that's how Joseph became the right hand of the Pharaoh in Egypt because God had planned that that's what should happen. He would have to suffer, though, in the meantime to get to that place. And so Paul's acknowledging that God was advancing the gospel through his suffering, just like it was with Joseph and other men in the Bible. So he wasn't grumbling or complaining because he did not see himself as a victim. He was part of God's unfolding plan, and that was okay because he was trusting a sovereign God, a loving God, a God that saved him on the Damascus Road when he was destroying the, the church. No, he was the opposite. He knew that God had not forgotten him. He was still right smack dab in the middle of the plan that God was unfolding through him. We, we opened up this whole series in Philippians seeing that this is the way Paul thought of himself. He was a slave for Christ. Whatever Christ wants, that's what I'm going to do, regardless of the cost to me. Because I trust that advancing the gospel is taking place even in my suffering. So all of Paul's mind, will, and emotions were focused on advancing the gospel. So he was rejoicing over this Philippian church as he saw them partnering with him in the advancement of the gospel. And so we see then that Paul's thinking is very helpful for us today. How are we thinking about our lives? What are the pulls, the desires, the temptations, the successes that are going on in your life? What's your life standing for? You know, we're sitting here claiming to be God's church, and we are. It's a beautiful church. I love this church. <laughs> but God's still at work in all of us. Now, I'm an old guy, but God's still changing me doesn't stop the side of heaven. So let me give you an example here. So this morning we prayed the Lord's Prayer. We pray it every week towards the beginning of the service. Every single week we pray the Lord's Prayer. So I want to ask you a question, a gentle question. I don't, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. Are you praying that prayer by rote, mindlessly, because you memorized it? Or do you really mean what you're praying when you pray the words that are in that prayer? Because I wanna, 
I want to tell you, that's the most dangerous prayer you can pray. If you really mean what you pray when you pray that prayer, it's the most dangerous prayer that you can ever pray. Because once we acknowledge the holiness of God, where do we go in that prayer? What's the number one thing we pray after we acknowledge the holiness of God? You can look in your bulletin. (laughs) It's right there. You said it this morning. Did you mean it? The first thing that Jesus teaches us to pray, in which we know Paul was praying as well as his disciple, that you pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. Doesn't say my kingdom come. Doesn't say fill out my wish list over here, oh Lord, because you're supposed to bless me and I've got this prosperity doctrine that I really love because I'm the one that receives all this good stuff in this life. Not what it says. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you mean that? Because when you say that, you're yielding your heart to the Lord. Your Lord. You're not only Savior, but your Lord. And I will do anything, whatever it means, to die to my kingdom coming and that my will be done. It's okay. I'm willing to suffer in order for that to happen. And partly in terms of our sanctification, this happens all the time, doesn't it? Because when I repent and I ask for God's forgiveness in some way that I've sinned, then I'm saying, I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to to be thinking and desiring the things of God. I want to obey Christ because I know that's where the blessing lies. And I grow and I mature in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so it's only after we put that priority in place, there's number one, it's at the top of the list. Then you start praying for what? The stuff you need, the stuff you want, our daily bread. And that's what we see consistently when we see like the life of Paul or the life of Jesus. God's always providing for everything they need. They don't necessarily have a big retirement account. You know, don't have all this extra stuff and big houses. The son of man didn't even have a pillow for his head. But he made every meal he needed, everything that it was needed for him to do the ministry that he did to save us. So the focus is not on desiring the things of this world, but on desiring the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of God's kingdom. And see, we've got to see everything through that lens. And that's when we're thinking like Paul. That's when we're trying to live for the Lord. Is it wrong to have these other desires? No, but don't let them control you. Don't let that be the lens through which you're looking. I need that promotion at work. I need to have a bigger house. I want a new car. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those desires, except if they are the things that are controlling you, if you're looking through that lens of what God can give me rather than how I'm yielding myself to building God's kingdom and living up my life before him in a way that would please him. So 
So we know that in Matthew 6.33, which was also read this morning, so the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew 6, right? Verses 9 and following. Then at the end, Jesus comes back down to verse 33. When he's saying, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about the stuff of this world. Food, clothing, shelter. It says, seek first. Not second. Not third. Seek first. Number one, this is how you think. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to gain the kingdom of God, if you will. And you will in the end, but now here on the earth, we're to be living this out the best we can now. Paul knew that he was God's chosen instrument to carry Jesus' name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's what the scripture says. He was God's chosen instrument. We aren't Paul, but repeatedly in the New Testament, in his letters, he says, be like me. Now, that's not heresy. That's not saying I'm Jesus. He's saying, no, this is how I've lived out my life at putting Jesus first. And this is how I've sought the kingdom of God first. And I'm willing to suffer for that. I'm willing to be used of God to advance his kingdom in whatever way he says. And so he was willing to go out and not even know what was going to happen. Same thing happened to Abraham. God said, leave her. He didn't tell him the end destination. Same with Paul. He's sending him out to the Gentiles. He couldn't tell you ahead of time the different cities, the different places that he was going. He got redirected often. By faith, he was following that, and he was willing to suffer. He didn't know he was going to have shipwrecks and beatings, imprisonments. It didn't matter. He was sold out. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. He was willing to go through because he saw the victory that God was going to achieve through his willingness to suffer. So we see the example of this at the end of the book of Acts. As Paul was coming back after his third missionary journey. And there was a prophet that approached him and he was unexpectedly warned that if you go back, then you're going to be imprisoned. So Paul thought about that, but he went ahead. He went back, and true enough, he was imprisoned. Was Paul wrong? He was warned he was going to be imprisoned. No, he was right. He knew this is God's will. And so as Paul's writing from this Roman jail... He's there because he returned back and was put on trial for false things, false accusations that the Jews were bringing against him. And now he's in jail and God's kingdom is advancing and he's writing the Philippians. My heart's full of joy as I see you partnering with me in the gospel. And so this is why Paul writes, what has happened to me? has really served for the advancement of the gospel. He's not a victim. He's a victor. He's a liberator. He's the person through which God is using to bring many to Christ. 
to the Gentiles, establishing many, many churches. And God is not foolishly or mindlessly allowing him to suffer. All of this has purpose and reason, and he knows that. He doesn't always understand why at the time. Why does he run out of money in Corinth when he goes there? But he doesn't miss a meal. And they're the same. As we live for Christ, then there are times when God calls us into situations we don't totally understand. But it's for the advancement of the gospel, both in us and through us. So we're being changed and growing in Christ's likeness as we go in dependence on the Lord in the midst of our sufferings. At the same time, the gospel's moving through us for those who are around us. So Paul's not saying, I want to suffer. Far from it. It's painful to suffer. It's painful for you and me to suffer. But he's not the victim. So I've got a little challenge for you guys uh, for this week. I've got a homework assignment for you. I want you to do the same thing you did this morning and pray the Lord's Prayer. Every single day this week, I want you to start your day praying the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to pray with your hearts full of understanding and wisdom and saying, Lord, your kingdom come your will be done no matter what the cost to me today. That's what that means. That's how to understand the Lord's Prayer. And see what happens as you begin to think and your willingness to suffer doesn't mean God's going to call you to suffer. Are you willing to suffer if that's the best way for things to unfold and happen? Because I'm going to trust God. When you pray that prayer, you're also going to follow that then you're going to follow that. Let's give us this day our daily bread, right? So that gets included too. But make sure you've got the first things first. So give it a try. Encourage you in that. And so when we do that, there are also the promises that we'll be blessed. And we like that part. <laughs> the suffering part is not so, so much that we want to think about. But God says we'll be blessed when we try to live that way. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, right in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, just like Paul is, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul said the same thing. So Jesus said that. Now Paul says the same thing in Romans 5.3. So as Christ's likeness is being formed in us, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's beautiful as we go through these sufferings. Good things are happening in terms of our growth in Christ-likeness. We're all a work in progress. And we're to be there with each other and support each other when we're going through that suffering. Then we see the Apostle James write, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So advancing the gospel requires an ongoing death to self and living for Christ. I must diminish, Christ must increase. I think somebody like John the Baptist or somebody like that said that, right? And so we say, are we willing to be like Jesus and say, not my will be done when he's in the garden, but your will be done. He's about to go to the cross. He gave everything for you. He perfectly obeyed. He was willing to suffer this ultimate thing, his, his, his own death, in order that you might have life and a future and a hope. And then as we think about these things in our lives and we think, wow, I really have enough problems already. I don't want to suffer anymore. Proverbs 16:9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So when we're listening, we're asking God to lead us and guide us with our number one priority in place, advancing his kingdom, seeking first the kingdom of God. Then beautiful things start happening. He leads and guides us. He establishes our steps. Paul had that happen over and over as we know. So that brings us to our second point in verse 13. So how did Paul's sufferings affect the advancement of the gospel among non-Christians? Verse 13 says, So the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. There it is. It's acknowledging it. He's living for Christ. I'm here because Christ wants me here. I'm not some victim. Somehow I got, you know, rejected by the Jewish leaders and, and these mean people you know, attacked me and the judges wouldn't support me and where is God? Because I heard in this prison I'm suffering nobody's here to help me. It's not how he's thinking. He's saying I'm in the middle of Christ's will. So who was the imperial guard? Well, the imperial guard were non-Christians. <laughs> they were the best and most hardened Roman soldiers who protected the Roman emperor. That's who Paul was chained to much of the time. So rather than complain about his circumstances, Paul saw this as an opportunity to share the gospel. I'm acknowledging the sovereignty of God and he's got me here through all these sufferings and now I'm here, I'm now in prison. What is it you want me to do here, Lord? Obviously you have put me here for a reason. And is that how you're thinking about where you are today in your life? God has you here in Stanton or surrounding Augusta County or whatever. What does he want you to do here? Well, I think there are a few non-Christians in this area of the, of the country. <laughs> and, uh, and so what Paul did is he began to share the gospel. Well, he could only share it with a, these imperial guards. I mean, he couldn't go out into Rome and, and you know, put up a soapbox and proclaim in the streets. He talked to who he could talk to. He was ready. So even if it was one guard for one day, 
That was enough for him because God had orchestrated that. So what is God orchestrating in your life? What does that mean to live out your life before the Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God today? Well, it says here that as he spoke to the imperial guard, the usually one-on-one, it says the gospel became known throughout the imperial guard and to all the rest. So God had his plan to reach the emperor, the greatest man in the world that time, the Caesar of that time. So how did he reach him? Through Paul witnessing to the imperial guard who spread the word. God has his ways and we've got our ways. Paul couldn't figure all this out. Paul wasn't that smart, pretty smart, but he hadn't figured out why he was there until he got there. He wasn't anticipating. He spent two years in Caesarea in prison. And said, well, I hope I'm going to go to Roman prison for two years, then I can witness to the imperial guard. <laughs> what he did was, what did he have to do in front of him that day? Well, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to talk to these people about Jesus. I'm going to trust that now I'm going to be doing my, my Lord's will. And so that's what he did. So I think it's interesting. You know, it's not like the Shawshank Redemption, you know, that movie where there's escape from a jail. Maybe I'm dating myself here with this crowd. But, um, Paul was not trying to get out of jail. Nothing in this passage says that Paul was trying to get out of jail. Why wouldn't he want to get out of jail? Because he was busy doing that day what he was called to do and he was happy and he was seeing these things moving forward. He was excited about what God was doing through him. Didn't matter if he was in jail or out on a boat on the sea or you know, back in Jerusalem. It's like today I'm gonna live for the Lord. I'm gonna find opportunity to advance the gospel in the situation in which I am. So what opportunities do you see every day? What unbelievers do you know? Maybe you're chained to a desk in some job. What does God want you to do there? He wants you to befriend the people around you. He wants you to start praying for their salvation. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God, then that's the first thing you're thinking about. You're not thinking about your promotion or how much more money you can get. You're thinking about How do I advance the kingdom of God today at this workplace? So this is what I can do. I can start praying for the salvation of those who are around me. I can make friends with non-Christians that are close by. I can pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Maybe ask them out to church. Maybe ask them to a small group. Maybe ask them over after work or something to, to meet with you. Well, you might be also somebody who's chained at home. A lot of the moms, right? (laughs) So what do you do there? Well, if you're a mom, you've got kids at home. Are you teaching them how to understand the Lord's Prayer? Are you modeling for them what it means to advance the gospel, to live for Christ and to die to self? 
Are they hearing those types of conversations around the house? Now, I'm not into condemning anybody here, okay? I know nobody does this perfectly, including me. I raised three kids, and, uh, well, Diane raised three kids, and I assisted. (laughs) But uh, none of us do it perfectly, so there's grace in all this. God, what he wants us to do is to begin to say, okay, help me to think the way Paul's thinking. Help me to live out the Lord's Prayer. Because when we begin praying for other people's salvation, God wants you to be thinking about that. Doesn't mean you have to get up on a soapbox in a corner somewhere and start preaching. It's not asking you to do that. It's asking you to do simple things every day with the people you meet. And so, one of the things that you know Paul did was to share his testimony, how he became a Christian. He did that often. You see in the book of Acts, where Luke records that in chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26, Paul is standing before kings and different powerful people. He's sharing his testimony, what happened on the Damascus Road. So that's just an indication of simple things that, that he was doing, although scary things, but he was doing that all the time. This is my testimony. This is what Jesus did. So he took these opportunities that God was providing even though it cost him. He was willing to do that. And then finally, the third point on our outline is how did Paul's suffering affect Christians? So we've just seen how it impacts non-Christians. But how does it impact Christians? And verse 14 says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear, without fear. How many of us this morning were honest, maybe a little fearful, you know, about sharing about Jesus? So what Paul's doing is impacting the people around him who are Christians so that they might be more bold and be without fear as they're living out their lives and trying to advance the kingdom. And so when Christian brothers and sisters hear testimonies of what God's doing in our lives, it moves us from fear to boldness. You know, there's something, you heard the expression, you know, that things lift the boats. The tide comes and lifts all the boats. So that's what testimonies do. When you hear brothers and sisters giving testimonies of what God has done through you in your daily life, it lifts all those that hear those. And I would encourage you in your small groups, and maybe once in a while here at the worship service, to hear testimony. Because it's encouraging, and it takes away more fear of those that hear that. You become bolder. And so we begin to impact the people around us with our testimonies. So that's how we can help one another. And then if there is suffering, then we're there for each other. And people know that you're going through some suffering and we can hold up each other's arms. Just like with Moses in Exodus 17, he's there and he's praying and the battle's going on down in the valley. He's holding up his staff and when his staff is up like this, then they're winning. Israelites are winning down in the valley. But his arms are getting tired. 
you know, it's coming down, then the, the enemy starts winning. So what's God's answer? He puts Aaron on one side and her on the other, H-U-R. And these guys hold his arms up. And the battle gets won. Picture of what's going on with the body of Christ. We need to be holding up each other's arms. So not only do our sufferings encourage others to be more bold and speak without fear, but they also draw us closer to God. Think of Job's example. Job trusted God in the midst of great suffering. It resulted in him drawing closer to God. Everything Job had was taken away from him. Satan thought he had him. And he sat back and he waited for Job to curse God when everything had been taken away. But instead, Job blessed God. He thanked God. He acknowledged God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And neither was Paul. Paul was not shaking his hand at God saying, how did you let me in this prison for four years and all this other stuff? No. See, suffering always brings us closer to God. My prayer life is the best. It's the most sincere when I'm suffering. I'm calling out to God. And so God has reason and purpose in allowing some of this suffering. We can't always understand all of it, but it deepens our faith as it did Job. So it's not to be despised. And also when we suffer, we also draw closer in understanding what Jesus suffered for us. Romans 12, 2. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. The joy was not suffering on the cross. The joy was you. The joy was me. That's the joy, and that's the joy we will participate in when we see the advancement of the gospel taking place. So Jesus modeled this for us. Paul is modeling this for us. Are we willing to suffer? It doesn't mean we have to suffer. We're not saying, Lord, let me suffer more. That's absolutely not you know, the case. And so Paul was fulfilling the Great Commission on behalf of his Lord and his Savior, whatever the cost to him. And he was so encouraged as he saw this Philippian church growing and multiplying the gospel, the kingdom growing. And he's seeing this amazing work in these people. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Isn't that a great promise? It says, we go through the suffering. You're not going through it in vain. 
As we seek first the kingdom of God, then we will be blessed, we'll be changed, we'll become more like Jesus, and we'll see fruit abounding. That's the way God wants us to be thinking. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, uh, these are challenging thoughts for us. We thank you that your grace is greater. As we sang earlier, uh, your grace is more. And we praise you that you're at work within us and that you're liberating captives, Lord, uh, through us as the gospel goes out and goes forward. We pray that you would continue to bless us, encourage us, help us, Lord, to fulfill these words that we've heard this morning. May your spirit be in us. In Jesus' name, amen.